Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, Deep Thought, we want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer, something simple. Hmm, we have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. Is it finished? No, no, there's more. There's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. for you? Yes, but you're not going to like it. It doesn't matter. We must know it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. Hello, welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, everyone. That opening clip uh, is uh, from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Vartok sent that in several weeks back. I just haven't had a chance to fit it into the podcast yet. Uh, today is April the 12th, 2009. This is podcast 222 for Treks in Sci-Fi. Just want to say happy Easter out there to everyone that celebrates it. And it's also my uh, younger son Eric's birthday today. Uh, that happens every now and then. It ends up on Easter. His birthday is April 12th. So happy birthday, Eric. Uh, and uh, for the forum members, he's known as Octiris, although uh, he hasn't posted in a while. I always keep taunting him and bugging him to get on and talk a little bit more uh, about gaming and things that he's into. So we will see what we can do about that. On today's podcast, we will be looking at the the last uh, movie from the Star Trek series that has come out up until now, at least, or until uh, about a month from now, uh, the movie Star Trek Nemesis we will be looking at. I will be covering it, uh, clips, background information. I've been digging up lots of interesting tidbits and, and and facts about this movie over the last couple of days, and I'll be sharing that with you all. Uh, probably not really a collectible talked about, but towards the end of the show, I will be announcing the winner of the Star Trek Monopoly contest. So uh, you've got that to look forward to. We'll talk about, uh, of course, things leading up to the Star Trek movie. Lots of stuff been going on in the last couple of weeks, and I am sure things are just going to continue to heat up over the next uh, about month, a little less than a month, until the movie premieres uh, in most places uh, on May 8th, 2009. Hey, so let's get started. And uh, to start off with, I thought I would play the trailer to Star Trek Nemesis. So sit back, relax, and listen to this, and I'll be back to start the show more formally. <laughs> our eyes reflect our lives, don't they? see 
as well as you can. I can feel everything you feel. In fact, I can feel exactly what you feel. He said he's a mirror for me. I need to know where the hell he came from. The same blood runs through our veins. It was as if part of me had been stolen. You are dangerous. Look in the mirror. See yourself. I'm a mirror for you as well. Don't be so vain. for Earth. Kill everything. Yeah, so that, of course, is the trailer to Star Trek Nemesis. The interesting thing about that trailer, to me at least, is it it isn't quite as familiar to me. I pulled that off of the two-disc DVD set that I have for Nemesis. And uh, this movie, and I won't talk about this that much yet. I'll talk about it more when we get to that this segment to cover Nemesis. But it doesn't seem to really get as much promotion as a lot of the other Star Trek films. And I'm kind of wondering why. Uh, it could have been a budget thing, a little less money for advertising and things like that. But uh, I think this uh, week, though, we will uh, start off first with some sci-fi, general sci-fi talk and news, and then get into uh, Trek uh, in general and about the movie, just to mix things up a little bit. How about the news in the world of sci-fi? Stay tuned. Well, we covered quite a bit on the Skype call about uh, sci-fi and television last week on the podcast, so I'm not going to cover a huge amount this week, but there are a couple shows I wanted to touch on. Uh, The first one is the final episode of the season, and hopefully not the series, but the season ender for uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, aired just a few days ago on Fox on Friday, here in the States at least. I'm not going to talk specifics about it, really. I don't want to spoil anything for people that haven't seen it yet. Uh, But I will say that it was a really good episode. This series we talked about last week, I know, it's really gotten stronger the last uh, probably half of this season especially. Very interesting, very uh, detailed. You know, it's just really getting deep, and and I like what they're doing with it. It's it's different, uh, and they're they're kind of they've got their own voice, and it's not like other sh- you know sci-fi shows. It's just real good. I think they they definitely have some good characters, very good actors. I, the cast is all really good on this show, 
and that helps quite a bit. And especially, I think, uh, Lena, is that how you say her name? Lena Headley? Hedy, uh, who plays the Sarah Connor character, she's very good. Uh, Summer Glau and uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the, the the kid. He's like, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I'll look it up when I take the next break. But uh, uh, anyway, they're all really good on the show. I like the guy who plays Ellison, too. I don't know the actor's name. But it, it's just an interesting show. The very end of the episode, I will say, uh, lots happened, or lo- a lot happens, and it, it kind of, you know, unfortunately, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but it kind of ends in a bit of a cliffhanger, and I, I just, I, I don't know if they did that because they had indications, the people doing the show, that they thought they would be able to come back next year. It seems to me it, it was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, not a great thing to do if if they had the feeling they wouldn't be back, although there is the movie coming out in about a a month and a half towards the end of May, I think like around Memorial Day, the fourth Terminator movie. I'm not really sure. They did show a neat preview for that movie during the series, uh, during one of the commercial breaks, but I'm not sure how much this uh, TV series kind of connects into the movie or not. Uh, There are some elements that they could fit in, I think, and there are some things that I've seen in the trailers for the movie that could work together with it as well. But but again, I think this... uh, this show is uh, well-deserving of, I, I guess it would be a third season, even though it seems like each of their seasons, especially last year, were very short. I think last season was like, what, eight or nine episodes or something? And this season seems like it was brief, too, for some reason. But anyway, Terminator, check it out if you haven't had a chance. Uh, you know, Check uh, places like, I know you can watch it on Hulu, at least if you're in the States and things like that. So definitely worth watching. And the other show I wanted to hit on this week is Chuck. Um, both these series are in danger of not coming back next year. And again, I think it would be a shame. Chuck has been a lot of fun. It's a really fun show. The The actors are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and the story in the last few episodes has gotten a lot more interesting too. So uh, not that it wasn't before. They were kind of more standalone type episodes, but now there's kind of an arc going on with some things dealing with Chuck and his family and, and, and things like that. So uh I think both these shows, again, if you haven't checked them out, give them a chance uh, and uh, see what you've been missing. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. Moyer777 on the forums. I love Treks and Sci-Fi. Rico, you rock. And you know you inspired me to do my own podcast, and so I have. Every week I've started putting out a podcast called Take Him With You, and it's all about my life and the world around me. You might find it interesting. I guarantee you, you'll smile by the end of the podcast. And in a world that is kind of depressing lately, I think it's great to be encouraged every week. So would you try it out? Come take a listen. It's at www.takehimwithyou.com. It's called Take Him With You, the weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. Yes, there again is my good friend Rick Moyer uh, talking about his podcast, Take Him With You. Uh, Well worth listening to, very uplifting show. Uh, I'm personally not a very religious person, and and I love listening to it, so check out Rick's show. Uh, I know uh, you will smile, like he said, uh, every time you listen. All right, they uh, had a couple of interesting uh, premieres for the Star Trek movie this last week. Uh, Unlike what was first reported, there was sort of a surprise that happened. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, let me me give you a little bit of background. There was a theater down in Texas, I think it was Austin where this happened at last week, 
I believe it was uh, it was probably Monday night there. Uh, they uh, they had advertised and sold tickets to uh, what appeared to be a showing of Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Harry Knowles from AinItCoolNews.com was supposed to be there, and some of the people from the new movie. the The gist of this, or the 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 way they were promoting it, was they were going to show a few minutes of the new film, the new Star Trek film, along with Wrath of Khan. You know, arguably the best of the Star Trek movies up until this point. Uh, but, and I, I think a shock, uh, I don't think this was released until the people got to the theater, but what they did was they actually showed the people, rather than they showing them the Wrath of Khan and a few minutes of the new movie, they showed them the entire new Star Trek film. So these this uh, little place in Texas got the first showing ever, uh, you know, a historic thing of this brand new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie with none other than Leonard Nimoy there also to sort of talk about it a little bit and, and just kind of say hi. There are uh, some clips uh, up on YouTube, three clips, I believe, from the event. They don't really show the movie. It's just the guys talking about it at the beginning. They kind of lead the audience on saying they're going to see, you know, Wrath of Khan, and it turns out to be the real movie. So, uh Pretty cool surprise, and uh, again, it was pretty neat. But just a few hours after that happened, the kind of worldwide premiere, uh, the big event that they've been talking about for weeks back are happening down in Sydney, Australia, down under, uh, that thing did happen, and it looks like it was a pretty cool event as well. A lot of the stars were down there, the actors from the movie, just about almost all the principal actors. I think the only ones I didn't see were the guy, uh, Simon Pegg, didn't look like he went, or um, how do you say her name, Zoe Soldina or something like that is playing Uhura. I didn't see her in any of the pictures, but all the main guys, uh, Zachary Quinto, Chris Pine, uh, Carl Urban, uh, Eric Bana, who I think both Carl and Eric... Uh, I'm going to probably get this wrong. I think at least one of them is Australian and one of them's from New Zealand, I think. I'll have to look that one up, too. Uh, but uh, from that part of the world, at least. Uh, and uh, what's his name who plays uh, Sulu? Oh, John Cho, I think that's his name. He was there. And it looks like, and J.J. Abrams, of course, and, and one of the producers, Brian Burke, I think. Anyway, they had this great event, and some of the early reviews have come in. I haven't really specifically sat down and read them. I haven't wanted to. There's been a lot of stuff that's coming out about the movie, clips and things. Uh, but I, the little bit that I have heard is is all very positive. Uh, people reviewing the movie, uh, Harry Knowles, especially at AinItCoolNews.com. I know you can go to his site if you're interested and read a review. I'm not sure what his review entails, if he gives away much of the plot or how he does it. He's really a pretty good writer usually, so I, I think if he does say that or give away plot points, he would probably warn people. But anyway, uh, it's getting very good press, and I really like the way they're kind of uh, marketing this movie a lot, uh, although I do think they are showing quite a bit, which leads me to another story. This past week, and I have these posted up on the main treksinsci-fi.com website on the main page under the Trex section, there are three new clips from the movie. These are not they're not trailers or, or TV commercials or anything like that. These are actual little scenes about a minute long, I think, each from the film itself. So these really give us a good feel for, you know, how the movie is being filmed, uh, what the actors, how they're doing their roles, and, uh, you know, the, just a good sense of the movie. Now, it's only a few minutes of the movie, so, you're, you know, you got to keep that in mind. And they're taken just, you know, out of different points. There's a 
a Kirk Spock one. There's an Uhura with uh, Uhura with uh, Kirk at the bar, and what was the other one that's floating? Oh, it's uh, Kirk and uh, Bones on a shuttle. Uh, trip, I believe, and uh, they're all you know feature Kirk to a degree because he's obviously the the big part of this movie, and it, it's kind of a lot of his story. So they are really pushing that part of it, and that makes sense again because uh, that's what the movie's going to be about a lot. Uh, but uh, again, uh, check that out if you'd like. Uh, all kinds of stuff coming out about the movie, and just uh, you know, trekmovie.com is still a great site to check for the latest stories. Lots of things, and I'm going to take a break here. There are a couple other stories I wanted to mention that I forgot to write down, but I'll play another promo from another very good podcast. I'll be back in a moment with a little more Trek news for all of you. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. And we're the host of a brand new podcast, Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast of the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season, be it Season 2, which is currently airing on MSN Video, or Season 3, which is in the early pre-production stage. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2, as well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! Another very excellent podcast to listen to. That's Kenny, uh, Kenny from California, who's done some behind-the-scenes work on Knights of the Guild. And also Jenny, they do a podcast together talking about the show, some behind-the-scenes information. Really interesting listening to that. Check them out as well. And in a related story to that, uh, Felicia Day, the creator and star of the Guild, she is... uh, has done a uh, guest spot on the new Joss Whedon TV show, Dollhouse. But the, uh, the the sad part about this is it's been reported, and I think this is official, that she was going to be in the last episode of this season, and I don't think that's going to air now. At least that's what I've been hearing. Uh, for some reason, I don't understand Fox TV, you guys, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't get when people put all this money and effort and and build a TV show and, and film episodes, and then they go, ah, well, we'll just hold that one and put it on the DVD set. I, I, I just don't understand that at all. I, I, I know that these shows, you know, they, they're all ratings based and need to make money and all this kind of good stuff, but. I, I firmly still believe they don't get behind these shows nearly enough. And Dollhouse is another very interesting show on right now. The last episode especially really grabbed me. Uh, I've been kind of wishy-washy on the show a little bit, but I am kind of really hooked now, and I'll be very sad if we only get this season and it doesn't come back as well. So uh, anyway, uh, on to some other Trek stories. In a related sci-fi Trek crossover kind of story, Leonard Nimoy is doing a guest spot on another show, another TV show, that I, I very much enjoy called Fringe. This show uh, airs on uh, Fox. It just came back with a new episode, and they've got, I think, six more to air or six total, so they have five more now. But uh, he is going to be doing uh, this guest spot. I think it's in the last episode this season, and uh, he is uh, going to play a character that I guess if the show continues – uh, after this season, he could possibly be sort of a recurring character. Uh, this uh, would be very cool. Leonard Nimoy, you know, besides doing this Star Trek movie 
that's coming out uh, next month. Uh, he doesn't really do a lot of acting anymore. I mean, several years back, he announced he had pretty much retired from acting. So J.J. Uh, Abrams and he must have formed a, a very good relationship because J.J.'s, you know, he is one of the execs uh, working on Fringe. So they must have formed a good relationship on the movie. And Leonard got a, you know, uh, an idea or, or however it worked out. J.J. thought, you know, hey, we've got this part and I think you'd be good for it. So Fringe Watchers, check out Leonard in the, I think it again, it's the last episode for this season of the a very cool TV show Fringe, which is, you know, it's kind of X-Files. People kind of use that as a term, but I, I, I watched the X-Files the whole time it was on, and there's a lot more to this show than that. This is more like science kind of, uh, they call it fringe science on the show, kind of gone wild. It isn't like, you know, they haven't gotten to things like space aliens, well, at least that we know of yet, and things like that. So they try to sort of make uh, scientific explanations for what they, you know, investigate and what they get involved in. But um, it's not uh, quite as far out as maybe the X-Files at times. So, Although in a way it is because it's kind of one of those things, you know, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes uh, situations. But uh, So what else did I want to cover? There was one other story, Trek-related. Hang on. Ah, yes, this is the, this is the very this is a great story. I got to put some of these pictures up on the website and, and the uh, forum. But uh, what these uh, what the actors from the Star Trek movie did? Uh, I think this was took place yes after the Australia premiere. They went over to Kuwait and uh, all the actors. This time, uh, Zoe was there with uh, them, and they basically showed up. Uh, you know, JJ and. Chris Pine, Zach Quinto. There's some great pictures online over at trekmovie.com of this. They uh, they showed the film to our soldiers uh, from the U.S. over there in the Mideast. You know, they talked to the guys. He signed autographs. Very, uh, just a great thing for them to do. You know, throughout history, entertainers have, have done this kind of thing where, you know, they've gone to war areas and, you know, tried to entertain. Bob Hope is the one that always springs to mind when I think about this kind of thing, going to places and trying to, you know, keep the morale, the troops up. And uh, j- just uh, it's just a great thing to do. I, I, I'm just my hat's off to them. They don't have to do this kind of stuff. It, it's and I, I think they really mean it when they do it. It isn't just, hey, look, we're we're cool Star Trek guys. Look what we're doing. Come see our movie. I, I I think there's a lot more to it than that myself. So uh, just a, a great thing to do and so nice for the people over there, you know, having to do what they're doing and and then getting sort of a little break in their heads and their minds and everything like that and their spirits a little bit uh, uplifted by just something cool like this to happen. So uh, great job, guys. And just again, just it's a great bunch of people working on this movie. How can it not be fantastic? All right, just a couple of quick announcements uh, before uh, we get into uh, talking about Star Trek Nemesis. Um, The first one, I just want to again mention all the websites that I've been working on lately. Uh, There's always, of course, treksinsci-fi.com. I also encourage everyone to check out Geek Play. That's geekplay, all one word, .tv, not .com, .tv. This is a website where I've been putting up older uh, TV shows, things that are not out on DVD, and a couple of newer shows, too. One I just recently am getting up is called Veritas the Quest. 
Uh, I've just been putting up some episodes of Tales of the Gold Monkey. I'm going to put up more of The Magician soon. Also probably going to be working on Misfits of Science, an older TV show with uh, Courtney Cox from the 80s that was a lot of fun and only lasted a season. Most of these shows that I'm putting up on there were only around a season, but I think they're still fun and worth seeing. And then the other one that I've been working on is uh, that I put a comic up Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is a jobforahero.com. That is uh, sort of my little take on uh, the job search I've been going through lately and sort of a cartoony way, but uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun and a little laugh. Hopefully, I've been putting those up uh, usually late on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is when I get the cartoons up on that website as well. And if you like what you see, uh, if you want to click any of the donation buttons on any of those sites, I think I have donation buttons on all of them, but uh, there's always one on treksinsci-fi.com. Uh, those would be very appreciated, help cover the bandwidth and website costs. And, and I've had to buy some software, too, for a couple of those things that I'm working on. So anyway, if you'd like to do that, that's appreciated as well. And the last thing, announcement related to all the website and just in general, I do have the T-shirts. Those that ordered T-shirts, they are in. I will be shipping those out most likely tomorrow. I'm trying to get them packaged up today and get them to the post office on Monday, tomorrow. Uh, That'll be like April 13th. So should be plenty of time to get to you no matter where you live. Uh, I know we had a couple of people far away. I think I've got to mail one to Australia. So, uh, uh, and then several to the UK. So it still should be plenty of time for you guys to have them uh, in your hands to wear to the, the movie premiere if you'd like, or or just to uh, do whatever you want to do in them. So uh, those will be going out in the next day or so. And now what you've all been waiting for. Here's this week's Star Trek episode on Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, not an episode, but a movie this week, Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, Let's uh, go through some of the uh, background, how this feature film started off, uh, some of the the behind-the-scenes beginnings of it. Uh, The primary thrust of this uh, comes from uh, Brent Spiner uh, meeting up with a screenwriter named John Logan. John Logan is uh, a longtime Star Trek fan. He's gone on record. He uh, used to dress up as Captain Kirk. Uh, when he was growing up and out trick-or-treating. Uh, and uh, so he's a, he's a longtime Trek fan, longtime fan of the original series, Next Generation. So he wanted to take a crack at a Star Trek script. Uh, Brent, of course, uh, Commander Data, he, of course, is very intimate and knows Trek well. So they threw together some ideas and tossed them at um, executive uh, Rick Berman, of course, who over, you know, overlooked the whole Star Trek franchise once Gene Roddenberry passed on, and even a little before that. Uh, Rick Berman uh, did not really care for many of the ideas that they first shot at uh, you know, him about uh, you know, storylines for a new film. The, uh, the movie Insurrection had come out a few years before. Uh, they thought they wanted to take a little longer break. Uh, the movie had, you know, Insurrection didn't do quite as well at the box office, but they knew that the audience was still out there, especially if they come up with a good story and uh, a fun movie to see. So what uh, Rick Berman decided was that the three of them, Logan, Brent Spiner, and uh, himself, should get together to hash out an idea, sort of an outline or a story idea for a movie. They wanted to involve the Romulans. They wanted to involve a new uh, sort of side race of the Romulans called the Remans. And that's when they came up with this idea of this clone uh, of Picard, 
living with the Romulans or with the Remans, uh, which is the way it ends up in a way. The uh, the original idea was that the, this clone would be an identical duplicate, you know, a, a mirror image in a way, someone uh, on screen who would be played by Patrick Stewart, sort of his evil counterpart, uh, sort of like the idea of the enemy within from the original series. You would have, you know, good Picard battling evil Picard uh, through uh, what he had gone through on Romulus and Remus and all of that and the mines and things. That that idea quickly got kind of dismissed. They decided they, they wanted another actor, somebody that they could really kind of have scenes and go toe-to-toe with. You know, when you're doing this sort of uh, special effects work and you're having to act against not another person, if, you know, if Patrick Stewart had to play both parts, it probably wouldn't have been as effective. I think this movie, some of the best stuff in it is the scenes between Shinzon, uh, you know, Picard's clone and uh, Patrick Stewart himself. So I'm glad that they decided it wouldn't be an identical duplicate of Picard. It would be this sort of uh, Romulan-created spy that they were uh, wanting to put into uh, the Federation uh, with, you know, slightly different appearance, uh, a little younger. He had gone through a lot uh, on, in the mines, and, uh, you know, he, he talks in a couple of scenes in the movie about, you know, his nose had been broken and his face and things. So they tried to explain away the differences in their appearance and, and upbringing. And, you know, even identical twins, I know, as time goes on, don't look exactly the same you know they they their environment what they eat how they exercise what what they do changes their appearances uh, from each other so and those those two you know in identical twins cases are basically the same age here picard and shinzon are not that the same age even though shinzon's been sort of artificially aged so uh so that's a little bit of the background how they got the story going of course brent uh data's character along with the discovery of this b4 um prototype android is a big part of the movie and we'll talk more of that as we go through the clips and things a couple other uh, things i wanted to say uh, some of the guest cast in this movie are, are pretty interesting ron perlman uh tom hardy is shinzon uh they got some good people in here dina meyer is the uh Dinatra. is that how you say her name what's her name again she's sort of that romulan uh ship commander uh, the budget of this movie was fairly small, $60 million. Uh, It came out uh, in December of 2002, which was a little unfortunate because I believe that was the same uh, year. Was it the last of the Lord of the Rings films came out then? Uh, uh, I, I, all these things I should have looked up before I started recording. Anyway, I know there was a Lord of the Rings movie that came out at the, or, or right around the same time as this one. So this movie did not do very well. It was the poorest performing movie of all the Star Trek films, even though I think it's a fairly good film uh, and, and quite enjoyable to watch uh, as I collected up the clips yesterday. Uh, it only made about $43 million in the United States, and worldwide it only took in $67 million. So it really basically didn't even really make its budget back, you know, when you throw in advertising and things. Patrick Stewart actually took a little bit of a pay cut for the movie, even though he made, I think, more money on this movie than he did doing The Next Generation as a whole, and so did, uh, I think, Brent Spiner also took a pay cut. Uh, they get quite a bit to do in the movie. A lot of the other actors, unfortunately, I think don't get quite as, uh, you know, uh, enough to do as much as maybe they've been able to do in the other movies, uh, and we'll talk about that again as we go. So let's play a uh, first clip early in the film. Uh, I think this is on Romulus, where the movie opens up. Uh, you know, the, the idea of this is that there's this sort of coup that goes on, uh, Shinzon sort of takes over, uh, you know, he kills off a lot of the government in, uh, on Romulus, and he, he just sort of puts himself in, you know, as, as 
you know, the supreme leader of the people, the, pra the new praetor or whatever. Uh, but listen to the clip here. Senators, consider the opportunities for the Empire. At last, the destinies of the planets Romulus and Remus will be united. Shinzon of Remus is offering us a chance to make ourselves stronger than ever before. It would be madness to reject it. I beg you not to let prejudice or politics interfere with this alliance. By joining Shinzon's forces with ours, not even the Federation will be able to stand in our way. That's enough! The decision has been made. The military does not dictate policy on Romulus. The Senate has considered Shinsan's proposal and rejected it. He and his followers will be met with all deliberate force and sent back to that black rock they came from. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Yeah, the Romulan leader in that scene that you're hearing uh, who uh, is speaking is played by an actor named Alan Dale. He is also Charles Whitmore on Lost, so that's kind of an interesting little connection there. There are, again, a lot of good actors, good guests cast in this movie. I think it's done, uh, they did a good job. I think Tom Hardy, especially as Shinzon, does a good job. Uh, let us go on to the wedding scene, which is a lot of fun to see in, in the film early uh, in Nemesis, and probably one of the more nice and lighthearted scenes in the whole movie. It's a fairly dark movie overall. Uh, probably, in a way, maybe one of the darkest, especially with some of the things that happened. So, uh, but here we are at the wedding, final, finally, of now Captain Riker and Deanna Troy. Now, I know on an occasion such as this, it is expected that I be gracious and fulsome in my praise on the wonders of this blessed union. But have the two of you considered what you were doing to me? <laughs> Of course, you're happy, but what about my needs? <laughs> this is all a damned inconvenience. I mean, while you are happily settling in on the Titan, I will be training my new first officer. You all know him. He's a tyrannical martinet who will never, ever allow me to go on away missions. That is the regulation, sir. Starfleet Code, Section 12, Paragraph Mr. Data? 4. Sir? Shut up. Yes, sir. Fifteen years I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> no, serious. Yeah. yeah. There's still time to reconsider. Yes? No. No? Oh, very well, then. Will Riker, you have been my trusted right arm for fifteen years. You have kept my course true and steady. Deanna Troy, you've been my guide and my conscience. You have helped me recognize the better parts of myself. You are my family. And in best maritime tradition, I wish you both clear horizons, my good friends, so <laughs> the bride and groom a 
very nice scene there. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is just so good as Picard, uh, and each time you see him, you know, he gets even better, more seasoned, more comfortable in the role. I, I, I kind of a parallels to me how William Shatner kind of grew through the movies, and you know, by the end, and even in generations, I just think he's so comfortable and relaxed. It's kind of like you don't know where William Shatner and Kirk, you know, break off from each other. And the same thing here. You know, this group of actors, these people have worked together for so long. You can really see it. Uh, you know, Marina there is Deanna Troy. I mean, she starts to tear up when Patrick's giving that speech. And uh, it's genuine. It's it's They've become so close, you know, both on and off screen. Uh, it, it works very well and helps the movie immensely. Especially since this movie, like I said, is fairly deep and fairly dark, and there's a lot of emotional elements to it. You know, Picard here shortly, uh, as we get to the clips, will be confronted by uh, someone who, who basically is him. Uh, you know, who has grown up and, and lived a different life, but has his genetic makeup and everything. So, uh, and the other side, sort of other story, is you know, data in finding this uh, other sort of precursor. You know, soon created this. Uh, as he calls himself before his, this prototype android that they find the pieces of and it turns into of course a big plot to just plant him uh, aboard the enterprise and to help uh, them with their mission to capture picard but uh, this clip i think is after they've captured before there's a whole sequence where they're on that planet uh you know that they do out in the desert in california they filmed out there with the little dune buggy picard's racing around it's a cool little scene and all but uh not really all that critical or needed to play for you guys. But here's a scene, I think, back when they have uh, the parts of uh, B4 on the Enterprise. I'd say he has the same internal mechanics as Data, but not as much positronic development. The neural pathways aren't nearly as sophisticated. I'd say he's a prototype, something Dr. Soon created prior to Data. Do you have a name, sir? I am B4. B4? Dr. Soong's penchant for whimsical names seems to have no end. Can you tell us how you came to be on the planet where we found you? I do not know. Do you remember anything of your life before you were on the planet? No. Why does the tall man have a furry face? Number one, keep me informed. And, uh, Geordi, reassemble him. Aye, sir. Yeah, so we uh, learned there that B4 is not nearly as complex as Data and doesn't have uh, the you know same abilities and experiences that he has. He's this sort of tossed-away prototype uh, that Dr. Soon created uh, when he was working on Android. So interesting uh, scene, and uh, I like the way they did it. Uh, the uh, you know This movie is kind of full of doubles of the others. We've got two, two sort of Datas and two sort of Picards uh, soon here as well. Next up, we've got a clip with uh, Admiral Janeway. Captain, you have an Alpha Priority communication from Starfleet Command. Acknowledge. Admiral Janeway, how good to see you again. John Luke, how'd you like a trip to Romulus? With or without the rest of the fleet? A diplomatic mission. We've been invited, believe it or not. Seems there's been some kind of internal political shake-up. The new Praetor, someone called Shinzong, has requested a Federation envoy. 
New Praetor. There's more. He's Riemann. Believe me, we don't understand it either. You're the closest ship, so I want you to go and hear what he has to say. Get the lay of the land. If the Empire becomes unstable, it could mean trouble for the entire quadrant. Understood. We're sending you all the intelligence we have, but it's not much. I don't need to tell you to watch your back, Jean-Luc. Hardly. The Zona, the Borg, the Romulans. You seem to get all the easy assignments. Just lucky, Admiral. Let's hope that luck holds. Janeway out. Oh, I wanted to uh, give you a few other things, uh, background uh, bits. Um, they actually were trying to get other cameos for different actors in here. Uh, they wanted to get Jerry Ryan, actually, to give that message, I think, to Picard at one time, uh, Seven of Nine. But she was working, I think, started working on Boston Legal. So she wasn't available. They also wanted to bring back uh, actress, I think her name is Susan Gibney. Uh, Dr. Brahms was going to be like Geordie's date at the wedding scene. Uh, what else? Uh, a little bit of the behind the scenes on the directing chores. Stuart Bard is the guy who directed this movie. But uh, they first uh, talked to actually Nicholas Meyer, who had had pretty good success with Wrath of Khan and The Undiscovered Country. But uh, Meyer, being kind of a writer as well, wanted to have more control and uh, over the script. So they, they kind of, he had to turn it down. They weren't going to give that to him. They were, they were pretty happy with the script itself. And uh, they thought about uh, LeVar Burton even for directing this movie. But then they decided to go in a different direction. They, they had gone away and, and gotten sort of a new writer into the fold, uh, John Logan here. So they decided to go with this uh, other actor who hadn't done any Trek before. And I think he does a good job. This movie's got some interesting direction. Uh, I like the way the scenes are set up. So um, just some other behind-the-scenes tidbits on how the movie was put together. So the next clip is uh, our first introduction to Shinzon, who is the new Praetor of Romulus. If you have anything to say to us as representatives of the Federation, I suggest you do it now. Yes. I'm sorry, Captain. There is so much we need to talk about. I would be interested to know what we are talking about. Unity, Captain. Tearing down the walls between us to recognize that we are one. I'm talking of the thing that makes us the same. Peace. We want peace. Right now you're thinking this all sounds too good to be true. But you're also thinking that the chance for peace is too promising to ignore. Am I right? Yes. Then perhaps it's time to add some illumination to our discussion. Computer, raise the lighting four levels. Yeah, so the the scene there, you that's when the, the group goes down, talks to uh, Shinzan, and realize that he looks pretty much like uh, Captain Picard. He's this bald, younger guy, similar nose kind of structure, and uh, just he knows certain things, and he uh, he implies some stuff too, so... The this sets up the the kind of one of the main themes to me about this movie, and that is, you know, nature versus nurture. In other words, you know, if you have two, you know, ge genetically identical people, in this case, Picard and Shinzon, one has goes through a certain set of experiences, 
uh, on Earth in France, and then eventually in Starfleet and, and Command. And another one is 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 this. You know, he's a boy at the time. He's put in these mines. He goes through all kind of kinds of hardships and and difficulties. And he was originally created to be a spy for the Romulans. They were going to place him in the Federation. And he he just he's gone. He goes through so much. You know where you know where do we come from? Do we come from our experiences? Do we come from our genetics? What is it that makes us who we are? I mean, I've always been saying it's to me it's always about a 90 10 split i always think it you know what who you are is about 90 percent how you what you go through through your life and and the things you're exposed to and about 10 percent your genetic makeup and uh you know i don't know i just sort of toss that out but i'm i'm a big believer in what what experiences and and things that happen to you in your surroundings people that you meet people you don't meet uh, you know, your, your family, your friends, you, you know, the, the schools you go to, the jobs you have, all of that makes you kind of and affects you who you are. But um, there's a point where you form, I think, sort of your, your personality in a way, uh, which they, you know, if you talk to, you know, the experts, they'll say a lot of those, you know, right versus wrong, what you would or wouldn't do in, under, you know, certain circumstances are formed fairly early, you know, in the first few years of your life even. And then after that, even if you're put into a situation where, you know, something really bad would happen to you, you would deal with it to, in the way based on, you know, what you went through early in your life. Well, Shinzon obviously had a bad <laughs> childhood, and so he's turned into kind of a bad egg and kind of a, uh, you know, a problem. On top of that, he's kind of, he's dying. You know, he's he's not doing very well through the uh, process that created him. And so that is affecting him as well. So it's interesting, you know, Picard being a very, you know, good, trustworthy individual. And then you have this, this counterpart here. It sets up an interesting battle. And uh, I don't think they fully take advantage of that as much as they should have in the movie. I, I think that's one of things that they should have emphasized a little bit more. They try to do it a little bit, but I think it could have been done a little bit better. You know, they confront each other mostly, you know, they have a couple of little sit downs and, and, you know, invite themselves to tea. And, and then it turns into a battle towards the end of the movie. And uh, and that just is, um, well, it, I don't think it's quite as effective as it could be. It, it, it's OK, but it's not as good as I, I even thought that the Kirk Khan conflict was in Wrath of Khan. But anyway, which this movie to me has a lot of similarities to Wrath of Khan. You have this adversary, uh, you know, a megalomaniac almost, who's trying to, uh, you know, conquer and take over and thinks of himself as sort of a, a king of the of the universe. And, and then you have a uh, Starfleet, you know, captain trying to stop him. So uh, next clip, uh, this one is, uh, gives you a little more insight. This is the little, one of the little sit down meetings with Shinzon and Picard. The Romulans had somehow gained possession of your DNA, and I had been created. And when I was ready, they were going to replace you with me. But a Romulan agent, the heart of Starfleet. It was a bold plan. What happened? As happens frequently here on Romulus. A new government came to power. They decided to abandon the plan. They were afraid that I might be discovered that it would lead to war. Not quite the face you remember. Not quite. A lifetime of violence will do that. 
So there you have the you know the way he was created. It, it turns out they learn that he needs uh, Picard. He needs a transfusion of blood from Picard, and and more than that, I think. Uh, to survive, I don't know if it would kill Picard. I, they don't really give you a lot of that uh, flat out, although I get the idea it's not very pleasant and, and he probably might not survive it. But the so they, you know, Praetor Shinzon captures uh, Picard, but uh, Jordy and Data discover a little thing that's going on with B4 and uh, what, what uh, he's been up to uh, and he's been sort of helping or going to help the Romulans. So what happens, and it's a pretty cool uh, trick in the movie. It's a little bit of a surprise. Uh, they, what, the Romulans pick up Picard and before what what we think as before, who actually turns out to be Data. And this next clip will sort of illustrate that as he kind of breaks in to uh, rescue Picard aboard Shinzon's vessel. Praetor Shinzon needs the prisoner. About time, Mr. Data. My mission was a success, sir. I have located the source of the radiation. This entire ship is essentially a Thaleron generator. Its power relays lead to an activation matrix on the bridge. It's a weapon. It would appear so. What about the download? Shinzon believes he has our communication protocols. They will give him inaccurate locations for all Starfleet vessels. Good work. Sir. Jordy supplied me with a prototype for the emergency transport unit. I recommend you use this, sir, to return to the Enterprise. It will only work for one of us. Yes, sir. We'll find a way off together. A couple, uh, you know, this guy Tom Hardy playing Shinzon in the movie, I think, is is a good pick, does a good job. Uh, a couple other bits of casting info, Jude Law and Michael Shanks. Michael Shanks of Stargate were both uh, considered, uh, Jude Law a little bit more considered for the role of uh, Shinzon. Michael Shanks also read for the role. Denise Crosby also was trying to lobby to get into the movie as her character, Selah. Uh, they also were thinking about even bringing in Leonard Nimoy because of his work in the episodes from TNG and in uh, unification and being involved with the Romulans as well. But none of that eventually panned out at, at all. But uh, just some interesting little uh, tidbits and insights uh, to what they uh, would have done, uh, you know, possibly in the movie. There's also, I want to mention, uh, before I forget, and I've still got some clips to go through, but there are a lot of deleted scenes for this film. Probably more than maybe uh, most of the other Star Trek movies. There's at least maybe about a, a dozen, I think, or so. Uh, you can see them on the two-disc uh, DVD set. Uh, Will Wheaton, for example, had been given a little cameo at the beginning of the movie at the wedding. Now you just see him sort of sitting at the table. He never has any lines. But there's a nice little uh, bit of uh, exchange between him and uh, his mom, Dr. Crusher, and Picard in the movie. That's one of the, to me, the scenes they should have kept in. I wish they would have. I, and, and several others. So check those out uh, when you pull out the DVD set. Uh, they're a lot of fun to see. Next clip, uh, what's up in the thing? Oh, this, uh, you know, one thing as I was watching this movie again yesterday, collecting up the clips that I noticed that I, I think that there was another kind of slight mistake. Now, don't get me wrong. I think this is a good movie. It's a solid effort, and I enjoy it. 
but I think there's just a bit too much battle stuff. I mean, it's okay, but, I, you know, the movie starts out fairly strong character-wise, turns into about the last half of the movie is the, is this fight between uh, the Enterprise, Shinzon's uh, monster ship, the, the Scimitar, and then a couple of Romulan ships with Denatra that show up to help out. Uh, and there's some cool effects. The bridge gets blasted into, the view screen gets taken out, and, uh, you know, neat stuff, but... I would have liked to have seen more of of a, of a discussion, not really a discussion, but a conflict, you know, between more between Shinzon and Picard, uh, and, and that I think they they overdid it a little bit on the on that uh, or on the uh, battle stuff as much. I mean, there's some cool things. I mean, two ships ramming into each other. They don't really do that in Star Trek a lot. So uh, uh, next scene though, this uh, is one of the interesting clips. Shinzon shows up as sort of a hologram in Picard's ready room to discuss things. So uh, listen to this. You can't trace my holographic emitters, Captain, so don't bother. And you can't contact Starfleet. It's just the two of us now, Jean-Luc. As it should be. Why are you here? To accept your surrender. I can clearly destroy you at any time. Lower your shields and allow me to transport you to my ship. And the Enterprise? I have little interest in your quaint vessel, Captain. Look at me, Shenzhen. Your heart, your hands, your eyes are the same as mine. The blood pumping within you, the raw material is the same. We have the same potential. That's the past, Captain. It can be the future. Buried deep within you, beneath all the years of pain and anger, there is something that has never been nurtured. The potential to make yourself a better man. And that is what it is, to be human. To make yourself more than you are. Oh, yes. I know you. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That I really enjoy that scene, and you know, Picard's trying to reach out to him, and you know, find a common ground and reach reach the the sort of essence of him. But I think again, he was changed too early on to to change who he is. Um, the the thing I one thing I haven't talked about is this. There's this whole thing with the Remans and, and Shinzon, this tele, telepathic ability. Who where they invade um, Troy's mind when she's with uh, Riker at one point and, and sort of mentally rape her, basically, uh, which is a pretty nasty, violent scene for a Star Trek movie. You know, that's the kind of stuff they don't really do a lot. Uh, oh, one little tidbit for that scene, though. Uh, I guess uh, Jonathan Frakes has a fairly hairy back, and, and the story that I found was that they actually asked him because of that sort of lovemaking scene in the movie to shave his back for the scene, even though it's fairly dark, and I don't know how much you would have noticed. But he he decided, you know, he refused. He decided he didn't want to do that. Uh, so they, I guess, digitally removed uh, all of the hair on his back in, in post-production. So I thought that was kind of a funny thing, uh, you know, for a, a, a difficult scene, you know, because they use this telepathy to uh, invade Troy's mind, making it look like cause she's very or he excuse me is a very infatuated with Troy he hasn't had a lot of contact with human females 
and so he he sort of puts him into uh, her mind while uh, she and you know Commander Riker are uh, are you know in bed together. So uh, it's it's really kind of nasty, and and she gets pretty upset by it. But in, in good Star Trek tradition, she gets uh, some revenge when they're having their battle. And uh, the next clip, even though it's a little more visual, I thought I would play it. This is where Troy, there's a neat little scene where she is using that uh, connection against them, where she's invading uh, the Viceroy, uh, you know, uh, Shinzon sort of right-hand man, the Reman, uh, played by um, da, 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 Ron Perlman, yes. Uh, she's invading his mind to get the coordinates because they're cloaked through this battle and they're very hard to find for the Enterprise to fight. And she's getting their coordinates so they can blast them out of the skies. So, uh, and that is what happens here. And I, I like it. Marina does a good job and, and looks, uh, you know, sufficiently vengeful. So listen to this. He's resisting me. I very much enjoyed that, uh, you know, getting getting back at them for what they did to her uh, seemed to be very just, and uh, it was an interesting way to use that uh, ability against them to have her invade uh, the Viceroy's mind and, and find out where they were. I like that quite a bit. Uh, uh, then, you know, it gets into this whole battle. Some people invade the Enterprise. There's a fight between Riker and the Viceroy's and things like that go on. I'm going to kind of skip ahead now towards the end where Picard... Uh, beams himself over to the ship to, you know, the they had this big Thalron, you know, another cool uh, bit of techno babble, this big generator that will wipe everything out around them that they're, that's uh, basically set to go off. It's kind of like, you know, it's the, this movie's uh, Genesis device in a way, even though it doesn't create life, it just destroys. So uh, Picard, uh, in good captain fashion, beams over to try to stop it. Uh, there's a fight with Shinzon. He's killed, and, and this clip here is uh, near the very end of that where Data comes over also to uh, help Picard out. I'm glad we're together now. Our destiny's complete.
Yeah, so this brings up the, one of the big things they wanted to do in this movie, which was to kill off uh, Data, to kill off one of the main characters. Brent uh, felt that it was... Uh, yeah, I think one of the things was he, he didn't think he could continue to play an android that never ages. I think that was in the back of his mind. He said that at very various conventions over the years, and it, it, it was partly that. But then they, you know, they bring this little trick in, uh, in a way, uh, and I don't mean that badly, but they bring in B4. And B4 has been connected to Data. His memories and things have been sort of shared with him. And so there is this possibility that Data would still be okay uh, in as B4 would learn and develop. He would become sort of a replacement because Data, of course, goes over there, destroys Shinzon's weapon in his ship and, and saves everyone else around them. And, you know, Picard beams back and they think everyone, of course, is um, feeling very badly because they think Data is dead, which he basically is. But uh, maybe B4 is, is sort of a little bit of a consolation prize i guess uh there's a scene here that i'm going to play next a little clip uh in picard's uh i think it's his in his ready room where they're all talking about data and kind of a little memorial very brief uh but i'll play it for you to family First time I saw Data, he was leaning against a tree in the holodeck, trying to whistle. <laughs> Funniest thing I ever saw. No matter what he did, he couldn't get the tune right. What was that song? I can't remember the song. Yeah, that uh, you know segues over to the Enterprise in dry dock there uh, being uh, repaired, uh, pretty beat up from this fight to, with uh, the scimitar with Shinzon's ship, and they're, uh, they got to use some of the music uh, there. Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this film, and of course he gets to sort of reuse uh, and uh, an homage to the music that was played in Star Trek The Motion Picture when they had that big, nice scene of uh, Kirk uh, looking at the new Enterprise for the first time in, or, you know, in orbit in dry dock, uh, you know, sort of the sort of balance things out to the very first Star Trek movie with this a nice little touch there. I think uh, one clip left to play. And then I've got some, a uh, couple of listener uh, comments about nemesis. And uh, this last clip is towards the end of the movie. It's a little nice scene with uh, Picard and B4. And uh, then I will come back with my final thoughts. I don't know if all this has made any sense, but I wanted you to know what kind of man he was. In his quest to be more like us, he helped us to see what it means to be human. My... My brother was not human. No, he wasn't. But his wonder, 
his curiosity about every facet of human nature allowed all of us to see the best parts of ourselves. He evolved. He embraced change because he always wanted to be better than he was. I... I do not understand. Well, I hope someday you will. Captain, the warp engines are ready to go online. I'm on my way. Please inform Commander LaForge. We'll talk later. Never saw the sun. Never saw the sun. Never saw the sun Shining so bright Shining so bright Never saw things Going so bright Going so right. There you have Star Trek Nemesis, the last uh, Star Trek movie up until this point, the last uh, Next Generation Star Trek movie, and, and a good one, too. Uh, I think some missed opportunities, but overall, I, I enjoy this one quite a bit. I, I, I still wish they would have had a chance to do another Next Generation movie. You know, maybe someday they will. Maybe someday they will be able to put them into... Uh, Another movie in some capacity, possibly even, who knows, maybe uh, cameos in a TV show if Trek ever comes back on television. You never know. There are, as Mr. Spock would like to always say, there are always possibilities, so I wouldn't count anything out. And uh, as a little tidbit, and uh, the uh, there are some influences and some things uh, in the prequel comic series as well, that uh, that the next generation uh, characters and cast are involved in. So I again urge everyone. The the trade paperback is out. All four issues of that comic are out. I believe I just saw it on on sale at Amazon as well yesterday for like ten ten dollars and seventy cents for all four issues in in the trade paperback. So I urge everyone pick up that uh, trade before you see the movie in May. There's a lot of good background there. Uh, but uh, Nemesis, a fun movie. And now we have some comments. Uh, first one up is from uh, Mike in uh, the UK in his comments about this film. Hey, Rico. Mike from London with a couple of thoughts on Star Trek Nemesis. First thing I'm going to say is that I like this film. I know a number of people slammed it. A number of fans really hated it, wished it had never been made. But for me, it did good things. I remember coming out of the cinema and 
thinking I was quite happy with the money I'd spent and what I'd got for it and, and what it had done to the story. Firstly, it brought the Romulan Empire back as a, a major force. We hadn't really seen it since DS9, and it, there it had been a sort of uncertain ally. It hadn't had too major a role. And we got to learn a bit to boot with the whole subjugation of Remus and the backstory going on there. Now, admittedly, I think they got more of that into the book, but you're limited on time on films. You've got to get a certain quota of action in, I guess, or the audience will go to sleep. And given the reaction they got, some would argue that they got that balance wrong as it was. Seeing Riker and Troy married, well, yeah, it was OK. I, I could live with, I could live without. It was nice to take the story forward. Note the bridge railing behind the wedding party. Bridge railing. The rail behind the wedding party, very reminiscent of the bridge railing of the Enterprise D in, in shape and form. Big thing for me was seeing the Enterprise E in battle, though. I know primarily the mission of exploration and all the rest of it that, that Starfleet's puts forward, but a big part of the show has been the fighting off of the alien of the week or whoever it is they come in. And while the Enterprise D did all of this in the series, it never really did it for me as a as a capable fighting ship. Whereas the Enterprise E always looked like it would stand up to the task, but we never really got to see it before now. So. A lot of film time went into the space battle sequences, but for me they worked really well. Good CGI, good planning, playing around in the whole three dimensions of space. I mean, similar to what they, they did in The Wrath of Khan, where they, they played on the fact that Khan was thinking two-dimensionally and Kirk was, was thinking three-dimensionally. The other thing was they, they killed off a main character. Again, they'd done it before, they did it with Spock, but that was a long time ago. And it, it's nice to see them referring to, I don't know, going somewhere slightly braver than perhaps they had done recently. Now, I know there's the argument that, that B4 was still around and Data could well be back and all of that, and a lot of people sneering at it slightly as uh, picking the obvious character that could be easily recovered, but equally I'm sure if they'd killed Riker or someone like that, they'd have either come up with another Genesis planet or a, oh look, we've got a third Riker in the pattern buffer, or oh look, Tom Riker's still alive, we can use him. So, you know, I wouldn't sneer at it. It was, it was a, a brave move considering where they were in the number of years that they'd been doing this, and... I enjoyed it. Yeah, the, the film was slow in places. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. There were bits that really didn't work. The, the Riemann boarding party did nothing for me. Phaser battle at the beginning of that was sort of okay, but the whole fight with Riker in the Jeffries tubes, no, that didn't really work. But the other scene I think people complain about is the whole crashing of the ships and, oh, look, Deanna's driving again, which, I don't know, I didn't have a problem with. It's a little harsh to blame the poor woman for crashing two starships. She happened to be on the helm because of what had gone on before, but she was following the orders of the captain of the ship, and the captain of the ship was doing everything possible to keep the Riemann warship, the Thaleron weapon, away from Earth and killing all of our descendants, I guess, if we want to take that universe as this universe. So in, in that sense, as part of the story, I didn't have a problem with it. I certainly didn't have a problem with who was driving, nor the actions that they took in order to achieve their, their mission. I say, overall, it worked for me. To me, it's a shame that uh, it got such a naysaying, as I think that killed off the whole next generation, I don't know, the whole next generation series of films, and it's probably one of the reasons we haven't had anything on the big screen in so many years. Anyway, thanks for covering that one. Nice to see you've got all the films out of the way before we get to talk about the new one. Look forward to seeing that and giving you my views on that for some future podcast. Cheers. Thanks very much, Mike. Uh, always good to hear from you and, and some very uh, insightful and good comments about the movie. Uh, yeah, I never noticed about the bridge railing. I'll have to watch that uh, scene at the movie, uh, you know, at the wedding uh, as well. And I agree with you that uh, they, it was a bold move to kill off Data. I don't have a, 
a problem with that. And, uh, you know, being science fiction, it doesn't matter who you're going to kill off. There are always possibilities to bring them back in a way. So, uh, but it still is dramatic. You know, it, it, it kind of, the, the thing I didn't say, I think when I was talking about it was, it, 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 to me, the point there was that Data had become kind of fully human. He was willing to uh, sacrifice himself to, to save, you know, the captain, to save his friends. And, and that kind of brought him full circle. So I think there was a lot of meaning there. And it was also a way, it was sort of very uh, mirror-like with Spock. Spock had always struggled with the human and the Vulcan sides of him. And, you know, at the end, he sacrifices himself, himself to, uh, to save his crew and, and his captain and everything else. So it's uh, very uh, well done, I think, for both of them and I think a, a good fit uh, for everything. So uh, next up, we've got Rick Moyer and his comments about Nemesis. Hi, Rico. This is Rick from Aberdeen. I wanted to uh, put my two cents in about the Star Trek movie Nemesis. Um, this is probably my least favorite of all the movies, but uh, I, did, you know, I enjoyed it just because it was really cool. So let me tell you what I liked about it first, and then I'll tell you what I didn't like, and then tell you what I rated it. Um, I think the the opening sequence is the best in any Star Trek film, where they're going through the clouds and they come down into Romulus, and they go into the Senate. I I was really hoping the rest of the movie would be the same because it was so captivating and rich and the color and everything was just great in it and i really really liked that whole scenario where the senate turns into stone and they fall and they break and all that stuff that was just it was cool special effects and a, and a great opening sequence and of course being an avid tng fan the wedding was fantastic and it just was fun to see will and, and diana finally get married and uh, data singing and Worf, you know talking about romulan ale and and to see Wesley again there and to see Guinan uh, speaking with Jordy and stuff, it, it was just good to have the whole team back on a kind of a social level. And it, you felt good about that whole thing. But kind of from there on, it kind of went downhill for me. Now, And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Star Trek fan, but quite honestly, I haven't watched the movie that many times because of it. It's just not as captivating as the others. I think when they went down on the planet where they were finding B4, I think that was... Um, not only did it look kind of awkward, it was filmed kind of funny. I don't know. I just had a, I don't know, it was weird to see Picard running around in a Jeep, like, you know, in an all-terrain vehicle and all that. It just was strange, and I don't know why. It just didn't really hit me well. We never really understood why the aliens were shooting at them, and it just, I don't know. From there, it kind of went downhill, and I, I didn't really hate Shinzon. Is that how you say his name? I didn't really hate him very much. I mean, he was cool and everything, but the clone of Picard, I don't know. It was cool to see the lady from Birds of Prey on there. I can't remember what her name is, but that was cool to see her as, as a Romulan. Uh, and really, quite honestly, the score, I couldn't hum for you the theme in Nemesis at all because the score just wasn't on par like with Insurrection. So, you know, I, I'm not ditzing on the film. I think it was great to have some more Trek, but I can see why it kind of went, the franchise kind of had a little crash there afterwards because it just wasn't a, as a captivating movie as the rest of them. Not that I didn't like it, it just wasn't the same as the others and didn't hold my interest as much. So, anyway, there's my take on it. Out of five stars, I only give this one a two. And uh, I hope that's okay. I hope nobody throws anything at me. But I just really didn't enjoy the movie as much as I could have. There were moments in it that were fantastic. And other times that uh, just wasn't that good. So, there you go. That's my take on it. Thanks, Rico, for everything you do on Treks and Sci-Fi. I hope you have an awesome day and a good rest of the podcast.
Thanks for your comments, Rick. Uh, no, it's it's a perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I, I always, you know, even on the forum and everything, you know, it's like uh, no one, you know, people sometimes maybe get the, you know, misimpression or the wrong impression about, you know, not that, that you know, you can't be critical. Ah, you're, it's fine to be critical. I, I, but I, you know, as long as everyone else can have their opinions too. And, and, uh, but I, I don't completely even disagree with some of the things that you has said and, you know, movie watching, TV, books, whatever, it's all very personal and, and very opinion. You know, it's, there aren't any really, I mean, there are, if you go to really, you know, film school and some hard and fast rules and so of, of, you know, of good and bad direction and, and writing and story structure and plotting. But for people like us, maybe they haven't been trained in those ways. And, I, and I've seen enough and I have taken a few classes and have read enough to know, you know, when those things are, you know, okay or not okay. But then, the you know, it's the 90-10 thing. There's my theme for this week's podcast but to me it's still 90 percent what what do you how does the movie make you feel you know what do you think about it in general and and that is very hard to define and and a lot of it is just your personal taste so uh a long explanation or whatever but no it's it's fine you know you you just this isn't your cup of tea the storyline and that just doesn't you know you don't like it so that's great and uh it makes things more interesting it would be sad it would be a sad day if everyone felt the same way about everything but uh, but anyway, uh, again, uh, covered this for quite a while. I think we went through it pretty well, and I hope everyone else uh, enjoyed hearing about Nemesis. I'm going to take a very, very short break, come back with the contest winner, and wrap things up for this week. Working. Working. Okay, I am now going to uh, roll a, a, a die, a 20-sided die. I've got about uh, 19 entries for the uh, Star Trek Monopoly contest, so this works out pretty well. I'm going to list it all here on a piece of paper, and I am going to roll this. Let's see, we've got number three. It is Ricardo, Ricardo Lopez from uh, Nevada. You are the winner. Yay! You're screaming now, aren't you? I can tell. I can hear it all the way from uh, Nevada. <laughs> anyway, Ricardo, I've got your address here, and I will get this mailed out to you probably tomorrow. I want to go to the post office to send off the T-shirts as well. So you should see this uh, probably by the end of the week or so. Uh, brand new Star Trek Monopoly, courtesy of USopoly, uh, the makers of this game, and, and many other stories. Uh, Monopoly, uh, I was going to say Star Trek Monopoly games, but other Monopoly games in a lot of other areas. So uh, congratulations, Ricardo, and thanks for everyone who entered the contest, which was very easy. Uh, all you had to do was send me an email with contest in the subject line. How easy does it get? Okay, so next week, what am I covering next week? I think it's the Menagerie, right? Is that it? Let me look real quick. Oh, no, 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 not the Menagerie. That's in two weeks, I think. Uh, this uh, next week was going to be, and, and still in a way sort of is, uh, it, it was going to be another guest cast. I was hoping to get someone to cover a TV show or a movie or something uh, that they'd like. Uh, but I didn't get anyone really jumping you know, up and saying, hey, yeah, I'd love to talk about this, Rico. I'll, I'll podcast for you. Uh, it was a little tricky. I don't know. I think people are busy these days. I don't know why, uh, you know, whatever the reasons, it doesn't matter. But someone has contacted me, and we're going to do something together, uh, something a little different and a little unique. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm not going to say anything much. 
but you will be getting that next week on the podcast, uh, and uh, I think it should be fun. I, I hope you'll enjoy it. We'll see how it all turns out, uh, but I think the Menagerie show is in two weeks where I'll be covering that original episode. We've only got a month to go to the new movie, and uh, there'll be a lot of things going on those couple of weeks before. Check out the forums, treksinsci-fi.com. Uh, I'd love to have more members over there and a lot of participation as we're all going to be gearing up to talk about the new movie and, and lots of things happening in the next few weeks. So if you're not a forum member and you're just a listener, hey, you know, we don't bite. Uh, well, not too hard, at least. Uh, but anyway, please come on over and, and check out the other sites I was talking about as well. I will uh, talk to everyone next week, and take care until then, and uh, I hope uh, your week goes well. Bye-bye, folks. Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to treksf at gmail.com or visit www.treksandsci-fi.com. Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dusty. 